Your customers don't want to buy your products or services. They buy their own outcomes for their own reasons. Meet Mark Boundy, our guest this week on Wise Up. Mark is determined to change the nature of the sales conversation. And I know that sounds really dry, but here's where Mark is different than everyone else. He understands that if you think from the perspective of the heart and mind of the person that you're trying to impact, the sales conversation takes care of itself. We get into what people value and the relationship to values and how that works, not only in a marketing and sales perspective, but at an organizational perspective. Enjoy. C-Suite Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Christina DiGiacomo, and this is Wise Up with Christina. I'm really excited to be here with Mark Boundy of Boundy Consulting. And what I love about Mark's work is he's all about value and finding value uh, for his clients and helping them to communicate that value. But what Mark is really good at is actually finding value. He can find value like a needle in a haystack. And this is what makes him so good. So we're going to have a conversation around value, his work, and maybe get into some of the deeper meanings around value or values and and being valued. So sit back and just listen to this conversation I'm having with this really awesome person, Mark Boundy. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much, Christine, for having me. I'm, I've been excited about this all day. Excellent. So why don't you pr- just set the stage for okay. us uh, regarding your work and maybe even tell us kind of the backstory. Feel free to okay. tell us the backstory of how you landed on, on doing this kind of work and your inspiration around that. Well, I've had a bunch of different experience in a bunch of different industries Uh, I've already had like three little careers and it occurred to me that there's kind of one simple truth in business. Like we make business really complicated with processes and, and, you know, all the junk, right? We make it complicated. But to me, in my experience, looking back at it and actually having had an early career experience where people just the company, everybody in the company worried about customer perceived value. Uh, It turns out that I think that the purpose of every organization, the one thing that you're supposed to do is to produce more value for your customers than it costs you to provide it. That's how you get profit, right? And if you're a nonprofit, you still produce more value. You just don't charge as much for it or you don't charge all of what it's worth. Um, but that's what we do. That is the core of a business. When somebody says, well, the first, the purpose of a business is to find a customer. Well, how to find value. So value is the why underneath every organization. And if that's the most important thing that you do as an organization, maybe we should start measuring it directly. 
Maybe that should be the primary measurement. Maybe that should be the prime directive of our business, not shareholder growth and, and market share gains and, and this and that. Let's talk about, because market share will take care of itself if you take care of value. Take care of the, take care of the pennies and the dollars will take care of themselves. And so that's, that's where, where I live. So in terms of my practice, a lot of the calories, a lot of the effort goes into the customer facing organizations, especially sales. So uh, I spent eight years, nine years as a sales consultant doing sales training and sales process and, and so forth. But um, what became clear is not only salespeople are really bad at value, but sales organizations are really bad at value, not just because their sales teams are, but because they expect these sales teams that aren't very good at value to be the 100% owner of understanding customer value when they've taken their companies and splintered the customer interface into 10 and 15 different roles that touch the customer and only sales gets to talk about value. So that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell. What a nutshell. <laughs> what a nut. I, yeah, I thought you were, were going to end up. Before <laughs> well, I didn't say that. Not, you said that. Yeah. But here's the thing. Here's why you're not a nut why you're not crazy because there was something that you said that really just, I was so excited about. You said the word truth, which I mean, for me, anytime anyone says the word truth, it's like a dog whistle for me. I I come running because if anyone is interested or is doing work around surfacing the truth, uh, to me, that's very exciting because I believe that a lot of the success and the underpinnings in business and whether it doesn't matter whether it's employee engagement or sales or the expression of your brand, getting into that insight and getting to the truth of the value for that person or what the meaning is for your company is really the essential nature of an organization. And so I got really excited when you started equating truth and value or kind of speaking in those terms, because I think what you're trying to, what you're landing on is the truth of an organization or the truth of what that organization sells. And the one thing I, I struggled with when thinking about value is I feel like it's a word that we hear a lot. And it's one of those, when you say a word a lot or you hear a word a lot, sometimes it loses its meaning. And yeah, I, I was wondering I, if you could just really talk about what is the definition of value? What exactly is it? Thank you, Christine, because it it's really is important to understand what value is. Um, and so people all have their own definitions and it, it started to mean so many things that it means nothing. So right so let's let's l- let me give you my definition of value and uh i have a friend that defines value as what a customer is willing to pay and that that gets you in the ballpark but when i'm working with an organization they want something that's more that they can sink their teeth into and make it actionable and measurable and trackable and so i have a definition that sounds a little more complex but it it focuses us all on what we have to do. And customers don't buy your product or service. They don't care about your products or service. What they buy 
is their own outcomes that they achieve when they get your product or service. So value is not how much they want your thing. Value is how much they want their out, the outcomes that your thing gets them. And so now that creates a whole complex series of, do they know what it can give? Do they know all it can give? Do they believe it? Do they trust it? Do they trust you to deliver it? And you don't have value until you can answer yes and articulate clearly what all those things are. So it got messy really quick once I said it's the desirability of outcomes. But it's as simple as that and as complex as that to understand what value is. And so value is in the eye of the beholder. Value only exists in the customer's perception. And so you have to, uh, sales and marketing organizations are like brain surgeons where what we do is change something that's happening in another person's mind between their ears because you don't make a sale until that change happens between their ears. So, all right, you just completely blew my mind because this whole idea of values in the eye of the beholder and you use the word believe. And that's where I want to start. I, I want to make the connection around people's belief systems, their belief systems, and how they perceive themselves in their world. Yeah. And I and, and that's what you're talking about. It, even though it's, you know, yes, the, the value is in the outcomes that they they think they're going to get. It's all about their world, their lives, how they even look ab about themselves. And so when you start to delve into people's belief systems, this is where we get into those fundamental human truths, value that you're talking about. And so I'm actually seeing a connection between your, uh, brilliant definition of value and people's values that you can express or articulate your value as an organization if it is seen through the lens of your customer's values. And yeah, um, would you, can you just elaborate on that? Do you have thoughts yeah, I, about I that? Thinking, yeah, somebody... At, you know, somebody asked me about that and we've had this conversation and I had this brief thought and I haven't had time to filter it through. So I'm, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Value exists in the beholder's mind. So it's in the other guy's head. Values are in your mind and in your spirit and a customer's values are in their spirit and they form a filter or a lens, as you said, through which, um, when, when I give a message, when I say something to a customer, they hear that message through their filter, through their values, through their experience. And I never tire of telling salespeople, your commission depends on the accuracy of the image that formed in their brain after it went through that filter. You don't get to say, but I told you this, because your commi the commission for I told you this is zero. The commission for this is the picture that took place in your head is the only commission you get. So it's, um, 
values are that, I mean, if you're pessimistic, they're the complexity and they're the misery of being in sales. If you truly love sales and truly love to be of service to another person, you love and enjoy the, the complexity and the subtlety of understanding another person's values and helping them meet their needs through their, the, the lens of their value. And that's why sales is so much more interesting than, than marketing. Because marketing, we have to assume that there's this monolithic set of values and we bomb an entire market with a single message and expect it to land as well as can be expected. But sales, you're doing heart-to-heart combat. And that's, it's the difference between, you know, an Air Force bombing before the attack and the infantry having to come in and do house to house, person to person, hand to hand. Um, Because in sales, you have to touch every person in business to business sales, you have to touch every person, um, experience their values and give them a win through their values. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's a fascinating, wonderful thing when it when you get to do it right. I just had this thought about sales that it's the subtle art of understanding another person. Yeah. And that's our human nature. Like that is, that is inherent in all of us. And we have that, uh, you know, and the carpet bombing, that you talk about removes the ability to really get to really understand what is in another person's heart and mind. Yeah. Um, And imagine a world where salespeople were all like that, where they are all genuinely concerned with your well-being and getting you to make the best decision for yourself. And that's, that, that's a world full of salespeople like I'm trying to create. And we all know that we're all imperfect. And even with our loved ones, the people we love in our world the most, you know, forget customers, but our spouses, our loved ones, our kids, we say something and expect that same, we, we expect that we ignore their filter. We ignore their frame of reference. We ignore their value and we expect to know what the picture was that we just created in their head. And so it is a constant struggle to remember, hey, I've got to confirm what did I just what is the picture I just created? What just happened? What just happened between the customer's ears? And um, wouldn't it be great if there were more salespeople like that? Yeah, I, I I, I mean, I had a misunderstanding between my boyfriend and laundry quarters. So, <laughs> you know, we've been together for 10 years. I can't even, you know, imagine. Obviously, like, there's a process of inquiry that needs to occur in order to really, truly understand. I mean, I'm, I'm just speaking in terms of really getting to know someone, not necessarily the reality of a sales, the sales context. Yeah. When you're trying to derive an understanding of someone and and what would be of value, my guess would be, you know, there needs to be a process of discovering and a yeah. process of really understanding or, or seeing the world through their eyes, seeing them, you know, helping them see themselves 
you know, in seeing how they look at themselves and, and the world. Yeah. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about that? Um, a couple. One is the simple thought that I love the word, the fact that you used the word discovery because some sales organizations, you call that same process qualification, right? Oh God, and that's terrible. qualification <laughs> is a seller centric goal. Discovery is a buyer centric goal of term for the exact same thing. And uh, I've kind of been on a, on a tear on a, care about the difference between those two words. And the other thing is, I, I'm going to uh, drop the, the kumbaya and say, there are some times and in some industries where you have to give a blanket message to the, and the least common denominator, and that's all that's commercially viable. A lot of my clients are big ticket, uh, seven, eight, nine figure deals where you can really spend the time to do that. And it's, it's not only efficient, um, it's necessary to be able to understand deeply and all the subtleties of an opportunity. So um, when, I, you know, when I gave the idea, wouldn't it be great if every salesperson was like that? The reality is it would only be possible if every kind of sale was one that was a high touch sale. And that's just not economically possible. I mean, selling pencils, you just, you can't afford to have a salesperson understand your true needs behind why you need a yellow pencil versus a blue one. Mark, you're just saying the Kumbaya. I really liked <laughs> it when we were, when we were in Kumbaya, but all right, I'll, I'll roll with you on, I'll roll with you on the reality. I'll roll with yeah. you on that because here's the thing. You can still have an insightful exchange of information in that sort of, you know, that kind of what that pencil pushing context in, in a transactional, in a transactional context you can still, because there's data and there's technology that can get you, that can get you to a place of not 100% certainty of what's going on in someone's mind or their lives, but pretty darn close. I mean, it's gotten to and the point where I, where I do feel that to see something that is completely tonally off, and we see that in advertising and we see that in marketing context where something is so completely off you wonder nowadays how that's even possible yeah I, no you, you're, you're right and you can't seek perfection but you remember the old joke about the two guys who are trying to run away from a bear and one was tying his running shoes and the guy said you're not going to outrun a bear and just because you have running shoes on and he said i don't have to outrun the bear i just have to outrun you <laughs> right so um the best listener does win. Even if you're in a transactional environment and you can't achieve perfection, you're still going to put yourself at a significant advantage if you're the one that listens and understands better than all the other schlock salespeople trying to, that you're competing with. So there's no matter what, there's always a place for being the better listener, being the most empathetic. How's okay. that? I'm going to hold you. I'm going to hold you to that. Okay. Hold you to that. No, but I, I think that you're right because I feel that what you're saying and what you're espousing is really kind of following the natural law of things. You yeah. know, when you go against or try to subvert people's sensibilities or you try to 
have a workaround shortcut to, you know, really making a connection with people either through your brand expression or your value expression. And, you know, just to kind of check off the boxes or try to meet like an unrealistic bottom line, things will fall short at yep. some point in the system or in in the conversation or in the process. Something will fall short and you lose trust and there's, you know, a degradation of the process from the person's point of view. So, yeah. so the ahead. golden rule that you're stating, which is, you know, if you have to default to something, default to listening, default to empathy, default to finding the insight of that person's situation so that yep. you can speak from a point of view of being informed and knowledgeable. Yeah, understand the need behind the need, right? Um, and it is hard. And we talked about the, you know, the, um, the wonderful difficulty of it and the complexity of it. Um, but there's another thing to remember. And, and we talked about how just as distracted humans, we often fall short of that ideal. And that's okay because we're human. But I want to caution people that it's not just natural human frailty that causes you to do that. Um, we've actually created some excuses for it. Uh, the, the world of economics, in, in the study of economics, uh, your, from your very first semester, we learned that each human being is this um, Spock robot, totally rational, um, emotionless human being. And one of the underlying assumptions of the demand curve, the supply curve, free markets, is that when you tell a prospective customer, when you inform them of something, they are able to calculate value for themselves. They're able to foresee all of the outcomes for themselves and do a full financial analysis of those outcomes. And that is, it's just not true, right? That's that failing of economics. And there, there's a whole study of behavioral economics that studies what people do instead of that idealized version. And the reason we created that idealized human, so-called so human, a homo economicus is what uh, one author, a Nobel Prize winning author called it, um, is that the math is easier to do when you assume a logical human being. And so from our first introduction to econ, we were subtly indoctrinated with the fact that all I have to do is, is pitch somebody and they'll figure it out for themselves and all will be well. And that's, you know, we, we know that when people say stuff to us that that's ridiculously untrue, but um, we still have that dream that when we do it to other people, they will do what we cannot. And uh, I think that's, I think it's kind of funny in some ways, but it makes us all feel, makes me feel better that, you know, it's not just your human laziness and your human selfishness that causes you to do this. You've been indoctrinated with this idea that all I have to do is give a pitch and it will magically strike a chord uh, from our earliest days stuck studying economics and in, all through our lives. And it's just not true. 
there's a lot of work to be done in untangling this system of cause and effect, you know, this sort of black and white uh, view of how these exchanges and interactions and things happen. And I wanted to, you know, you were talking about sort of the, the behavioral economics point of view. And I, I have this book called The Prosperity Paradox, which was is the economic wisdom of Henry George, who's old timey. But it's a brilliant book because, you know, it, it really talks to this sort of systemic societal idea or understanding of economics. And I think part of it, too, is just it's tangible. People will believe or understand something that's really tangible that they can see so that they can just be, you know, they see it and it's done. So the whole notion of, you know, that we are, you know, it's either, it's an either or proposition, you know, I pitch and you'll get it. So that way I can, my ego can quickly just compartmentalize that and then move on. And, but what we haven't fully grasped is the impact of doing that uh, really is not even in our benefit. It's not in our benefit to to not do the work. And that's what you're saying is, yes, there is, you need to do the work in order to increase your chances of making the proper connection through the right value system and right value com- conversation in order to achieve, you know, your business objectives, but also the objectives of your customer. It, there's work involved. It's yeah. not, you know, so, um, so I really kind of appreciate that you're really digging deep on all this stuff, but I, I do believe that there's an entangling of perceptions that need to occur in yeah. order for that change to happen. And, and there's a whole bunch of them. And that's why I called my book radical value. I mean, we have to radically rethink the conversations. We have to radically rethink who in our company has those conversations. Remember I said there's 15 different departments that touch the customer, 13 of which are not sales all 13 of which have more trust from your customer with your customer than your salespeople, all 13 of which can pick up the phone and talk to those people. And your salespeople will never have a hope of of having any kind of relationship, much less that kind of trust. And we tell those 13, don't talk about value. Don't talk about customer needs. Stay in your lane. Just do your installation. Just answer the phone. Just process the invoice. And that's silly. And so I want leaders to do a radical rethink of their organization and how we connect more intimately and more completely and more broadly with our customer. Because there are, there, it used to be, it was too confusing to let those people do it and they couldn't communicate well with, with and keep sales in the loop. Well, We've got technology now. There's a brand new thing out. It was invented just last week. It's called the phone. And 30 years ago, they invented a computer. And 20 years ago, they invented an internet. And you can do these things now. You're bringing up this seriously huge idea that I think we might actually have to have a part two about. But I do (laughs) want to touch on it because it's so rich and I don't want anyone to miss it. Yeah. Yeah. Teaser for for episode two. Yes, yes. So, you know, you were just mentioning how 
the function of that value conversation is really kind of the, the salespeople or the custodians of it, but they're not necessarily the ones that have that trust yeah. with the customer, right? That it's actually all people in the, all the different lines of work, whether it's, you know, the customer service people, or like you said, the, the people who do the installation, or maybe it's the bank teller, or maybe it's, you know, someone who's doing the social media. Like there's, there's all these different roles and responsibilities within an organization that, that really are having or are closely adjacent to that value understanding. And, but it brings to mind for me that, the organization as a whole has to act as the salesperson for lack of a better expression that it's everyone that it's that it's not just you know it's not just breaking off or or deconstructing the organization into these little separate pieces or silos and everyone has their own independent function it's everyone it's it's an entire it's oh, an yeah, entire it's thing company, yeah it's company to company sales yeah it's um there's a couple of uh books and scholars on key account management. So when you're talking to your biggest, most important customers, the deepest customer relationships, they they describe as interlinked, interconnected, intertwined, so that we don't know where my company ends and your company begins. And that is the ultimate highest relationship you can have. And so you're connecting and interconnecting at a myriad of touch points. And when you do that, now you're not able, it's very difficult for a competitor to replace and to displace you. And if that's what we strive for with our biggest, most important customers, how can we make something like that happen for all of our customers? Because losing any of our customers is be a pretty bad thing, right? Exactly. Okay, so we're going to have another super quick, I promise, kumbaya moment. So you know, what you're talking about, everything being connected and this notion of, you know, where your organization begins and the customer's organization begins and that sort of embeddedness and that that intertwining, that is exactly how the world works. Everything is connected. You know, for, for example, a tree doesn't know that it's the customer of the dirt and the dirt doesn't really is like here. Here's all the nutrients for your roots, and we're just gonna kind of hang out and be symbiotic. And this is just mirroring what we see around us and what is around us in our world and how we exist in a natural state. It's just reflected in an organizational context or a role and responsibility context. But that doesn't make it any less important to yeah, have a concept. Just. Those relationships still happen, right? You still call your customer service people. You still call accounts payable. You still have those connection points. It's how much value are you transmitting through those connection points? Are they hands-off adversarial? Are they congenial? Or are they deeply entwined? Because those connection points are going to be there whether you take care of them or not. Well, if you take care of them poorly enough, then they break with the whole customer relationship. But with within a customer relationship, they are going to be there. You can't have a customer relationship without accounts payable. 
Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So better not. (laughs) (laughs) So Mark, I could talk to you for days. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, But I do want to just give you the opportunity to just let everyone know, is there anything else that you want to tell people? You talked about your book, Radical Value. I mean, is there anything else that you have going on that how how can people find you and and reach out to me at Mark, M-A-R-K at Boundy Consulting. Boundy is almost like the paper towels. B-O-U-N-D is in David Y Consulting dot com market boundy consulting dot com and uh i've joined forces with a lady who is a vice president of sales for oracle for many years and she and i on thursday afternoons are having a just a zoom call workshop where we help you do better discovery and better customer conversations and we help you plan those and so um we're starting those for free and if you want to just do a private session with your whole company and just your company so you get better security. Call me at marketboundy or email me at marketboundyconsulting.com. So insightful, Mark. Thank you so much. And I just want to let everyone know that I have also been a beneficiary of your ideas, you know, as someone who uh, is creating a category of industrial philosophy and going out there with my work, uh, with something that people have never encountered before, you know, I, I did have the opportunity to use, you know, one of the exercises in your book to help me articulate my value. And, and I can honestly say it's really helped in my conversations with people. And it's even gotten me excited about my own stuff. I mean, as if I, if I didn't think I was excited about what it was that I was doing, once I actually started to map out how I was helping people, it got me even more excited and it got me and it, and it spun off a whole other set of ideas, uh, and ways that I could serve people. So, I just really want to thank you, Mark, for your work. Um, again, you know, definitely would love to have you back to have a even uh, more broader, expansive conversation. Uh, but I think we've given enough uh, to chew on people uh, enough to chew on. So thank you so much for being with us Christina, and helping thank us. You. Uh, and, yeah. Yeah, helping thank us you for the it. kind words. It, you uh, you just made my day. I was excited to uh, I was excited to be here, and now you've. Uh, just lightened my step throughout the rest of my day. So thank you very much. You are very wise, Mark. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.